Welcome to the Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. What is the information that new homeowners are most interested in knowing? Every investor is different. You know, they they come with different goals, different plans. They're at different points in their investing career. I've I've spoken with investors that are in their, you know, 70s who are just seeking to move their portfolio over to a, a more reputable company. I've spoken to people in their mid 40s, late 40s who have been self-managing, you know, for a long time and they are they're in their final 15, 20 years of their career. And so they're ready to hand off their properties. In fact, I can't mention names here, but some of my favorite investors have found me, you know, in the middle of their careers and they've said, "Well, I just can't manage this stuff anymore." And, uh, and so they've handed us those properties. And then of course we've got, you know, new investors, young, young people that I would say are anywhere between the ages of, uh, 23 and 30 to start. And they're just starting up their real estate investment and they have some very basic questions, but the questions that you and I are about to discuss are questions that everyone has all across the board. So it doesn't matter where you are in your investing um, process. Uh, you're, you've got these questions uh, that come to mind. So go ahead. What's your first question? Well, the questions here I've actually taken from submissions from Property Management Memphis, which is our property management website. Right. So all these are going to be relating to the onboarding process and just the day-to-day property management. So the first question I've got for you is, how do you screen tenants? Wow, this is a uh, probably the most complex question. <laughs> you, you really started off on a good one. Well, we're going to start with the best. Oh we? my gosh, this is a this is a big one. How do we vet prospective tenants? Let's just start with uh, twenty years ago when I started. And, you know, working with applications, the Internet was still in its, you know, fledgling years. And so, you know, we we didn't have a lot of the tools then that we have now. We used to make a lot of phone calls to uh, references. We used to get a lot of faxes you know, uh, back with information, the, the credit reporting system hilariously is, is still the same. I mean, the, the, the FICO system, I think we're in FICO two. Now we might be in a different version of the FICO credit reporting system. I'm not sure. Let's just assume that we're in FICO two. So yeah, it's, we have a lot of new tools now. So we'll just start from the beginning. The very first thing that we do is we work with a collection agency to help run our background report. This is so very important. Collection agencies have the ability to get information on a person in a way that no one else can. They are actually licensed to snoop. Okay. That's pretty cool. You know, we can go online. We can, we can go through people's Facebook and social media, social, you know, stuff, and we can kind of see what their character is like. And anybody can pull a credit report on anybody else, believe it or not. It's not that hard to do. Banks do it all the time. Credit card companies do it all the time. But what this collection agency does is it actually uh, goes through and does a criminal background report, a credit report, two-year history on that credit report. They do an eviction check. They do a court check because court reports and criminal reports are two different things, right? Just because I get sued doesn't mean I'm a criminal, right? But I might get sued if I don't pay my bills. So they do a court report as well. And then they do a sex offender report. 
And if there are police reports that come along with this, then they give us, you know, a very basic police report on this person. So right there, first and foremost, our leasing team is very much looking out for our homeowner and trying to figure out, is this someone who we want to do business with? And in our application standards, as you and I have worked together through these standards and making sure that they're properly promoted online or properly listed online, it states that you can be denied or declined for any one of those issues. So if you are a felon, you can be declined. All right. And we can talk about that more later. Um, There are people that have had white collar crimes that I wouldn't decline, but then there are people that have had drug related crimes and gun crimes that I would absolutely decline. So if you're a dangerous felon, that's a no go. If you've just been evicted or have a history of eviction on your court reports, that's a decline. If your credit history over the last two years shows that you don't pay your bills, you know, there are tons of collections, that's a a decline. And then just to wrap up the other two, which are relatively simple. We do income verification. Uh, so we want to make sure that the the tenant makes at least three times the amount of the monthly rent per month. And then we do a rental verification uh, with their most recent landlord. And it's got to come back as positive. And we check the number of late pays, things like that, and make sure that they uh, have taken care of their previous landlord. Well, the next question is potentially contentious given where we find ourselves today. And that is, What property management software do you use? Mm. Well, we use a property management software called Property Boss. And Property Boss is a small software out of South Carolina. Um, It's QuickBooks based, which is uh, probably the number one reason why we use it. Um, QuickBooks has been around for years. Uh, It is an accounting software. A lot of property management companies, a lot of individual investors that don't use property management companies, they both use QuickBooks or some version of it and or an Excel spreadsheet. You can also do your accounting and tracking through an Excel spreadsheet. And Property Boss is an older software. It's not very innovative. It's kind of like driving an old Ford, you know, like, you know, when you turn the key, it's probably going to start, you know, it's not much to look at. Uh, you're not going to get a lot of, you know, good attention <laughs> by driving that old car, but it's going to get you to the grocery store. It's going to get you to where you need to be. Where so, does uh, fuel efficiency fit into that? Uh, well, we had that before. <laughs> Funny that you say um, our previous property management software, and we've discussed this in a previous podcast, uh, was Appfolio. Appfolio was highly efficient. Um, it had a very challenging accounting software. So due to some negative responses from our homeowners, and by the way, investors, we are always listening to your comments. And so when there, you know, it rose to, a, I don't know, somewhere between a five to 7% dissatisfaction rate with the software, we said, you know what, something's got to change. And so we left the Cadillac of softwares, if you will, which, which is Appfolio. And we, we went back to that old, that old Ford, you know, we said, look, you know, property boss, there aren't any programming issues. There aren't any difficulties with the accounting. The cool thing about Property Boss too is it's uh, it's cross compatible with QuickBooks. So you can take a report out of uh, Property Boss, convert it to your own QuickBooks file and have that, you know, at home on your own computer if you choose to use QuickBooks for your private accounting. You can do the same thing with Property Boss and Excel. And so um, we felt like it was more important for our homeowners to have access to a dependable accounting software uh, than it was for us to have a quick light, light on its feet, innovative uh, software like Appfolio. And, uh, and all of our homeowners, hilariously, one that, um, did we have, 
uh, Jack Vaughn on the podcast? I think we did. We did, yeah. He called in. Okay, cool. So a previous investor that we interviewed on the podcast, Jack Vaughn, he actually uh, called me from the road the other day, and he said, uh, how is it being back at Property Boss? Like, that was, he's so happy you know that we're back to this simple piece of software and i said honestly jack i don't even think about it i said how is it for you because jack has you know 30 houses or more and uh he said uh oh we're loving it so um anyway it was good to hear so that flows beautifully into the next question which is about reporting what uh, kind of reports can investors expect and do they come through property boss or is there other means by which they can receive reports the reports that come through Property Boss, are, are, our central report is our monthly accounting statement. And um, I think we call that report the A190. It's just a, a, a Property Boss name. Or it may not be that report. Anyway, the, the point is our homeowners get a monthly report. They get one on the 15th. And if their tenant has not paid their rent by the 15th, then they will also get one on the 30th. That as we've gone through the last couple of years of, of uh, challenges to to our tenant base, a lot of homeowners have accepted rent after the 15th because that's when the tenant could pay. And so they've gotten two reports. The cool thing about those reports is that they are very easy to read. Um, they show, you know, the cash coming in. They show your expenses. Uh, they show where your operating reserve is, which is a, a small amount of money that we like to keep on each unit. And then they show the cash out to the homeowner. The other thing that uh, the statement shows is uh, the a small description of, of each in invoice that came out. So you're able to see, you know, if there, if there was maintenance that was performed, what it was, the exact amount. And then in tandem with that report, you, the homeowner can go online, of course, like they can with just about every management software, go into their owner portal and be able to see actual scanned images of those invoices. Um it, it, we encourage our homeowners, if they're confused about anything on their statement, to pick up the phone and give us a call and let us know what they see, if they, do, if they have questions about uh, an expense or, or the cash coming in. And then there are other reports, too, um, as far as reporting is concerned. There are custom reports that we can build. So a lot of investors with multiple properties will often ask for a, a rent roll, and they want to see the performance of, of multiple tenants at multiple properties. We can pull that for each individual investor. We can pull a, a tenant ledger, a late report, um, which basically shows homeowners the performance of a tenant. Say, for instance, if a homeowner is considering renewing a tenant's lease and they want to know, well, how many times were they late? We can pull that tenant ledger, and that's really cool. We can uh, pull a rent performance report uh, over several years to be able to show what their overall profit and loss has been for a broader comparison. So that's a neat thing as well. If they're trying to make some strategic decisions about whether or not to hold on to a property or if the rents are going to continue to grow based on past performance, that's also something we can do. So there's really no end to the reporting flexibility that Property Boss has. What is your pricing strategy for a new lease? That's a great question. So every day um, we have a team uh, here in the office that is performing lease renewals and setting rental pricing for new leases. For anyone that has been in real estate for longer than, let's say, 14 years, okay, to back to 2008. Uh, and most, most listeners will have remembered the crash, right? The economic crash of 07, 08. Um, our pricing strategy was different back then. Okay. We were, we were trying to help our homeowners keep their houses. And uh, in 06, gosh, it seems like ancient history. 
rents were at an all-time high, <laughs> which is kind of like the way it is now. And because uh, right now rents are at an all-time high once again. Um, so our pricing strategy back in 06, honestly, was how much is the market willing to bear? Right. There wasn't enough product. We were building product back then. Memphis hasn't had another building boom like that for 15 years, you know, since 06. So we were building product. That product was renting at a premium. Our investors were very, very excited at the, at the rates that they were able to get. They were cash flowing like crazy. But the, the price of the product to purchase was actually uh, relatively low in comparison to the where, where it is today. In fact, if you bought a house in 2006 at the top of the market, it would probably be worth somewhere between 70 to 90% more today. Um, so that's, that's a, you know, almost a 100% return on your initial purchase price is a pretty good investment, you know, over the course of 15 years. Um, all right. So in 06, we were asking ourselves, what can the market bear? We would take the market rent and we would add about $100 to it. Okay, sometimes $150, $200 to that rent. And we were getting it um, all the way up until the correction, which happened in started in very late 06 and then really got its footing in 07. Between 09 and 12, um, we were taking the market rate and putting it out there, you know, and saying, okay, well, this is the standard rate. And then because houses were renting a lot slower, as you recall, you, you were there with me, we would often have pricing meetings and we would say, well, we, we'd gauge the number of showings that we had. We'd gauge the tenant feedback and we'd say, okay, what is holding this house back from renting? And you always had great insight on that. You would say, you know what, it's the, the house is not meeting the tenant's expectations. So uh, if it's not leasing after 30 days, we can either change the, how we're presenting the property online or we can drop the price. You know, or do both. You know, it's one one or the other. So we actually were pretty aggressive for the four years between 08 and 12 to to drop rental prices. Right, like that sounds like craziness right now. Like nobody's dropping rental prices. Well, one of the things I noticed, I, I remember in 2005 through th- 2010, that's when we really saw significant growth through the internet of just any old person could put their house on, find a tenant, right. You know, and we were seeing through, you know, major search verticals, the websites that listed rental properties, you would see discrepancies in rent prices. Individuals didn't know how to properly list their house and what rent to set. Yep. And that was devaluing the marketplace. And that's what we were seeing. We were seeing that our intent was being undercut by so many properties coming onto the market that we had to adjust. Right. And then uh, there was another company that came online uh, with us that is uh, owned by a fund, a hedge fund or a buyer's fund. And uh, I won't mention the name of that company, but between 2013, 14 at the very beginning, all the way up to now, that company has actually set the high, the ceiling for rental property. And uh, they have excellent internet marketing. They've got a a, a really wonderful uh, uh, business model. And, um, but of course they own all of their own properties. So they're the property manager and the property owner at the same time. So they were setting the high point of, of the, the rents for our uh, particular areas. And so what we would do is we would say, okay, well, if that's the height 
we were doing what you're talking about for, you know, the mom and pop from 10 years ago, they were saying, well, enterprise is setting the high price. So I'm going to set my house at $200 below that. So what we do is we go and we look at that high price for that company. And then we set often our rents at a hundred dollars below that. And when the viewer is looking at multiple properties, they'll see that ours is discounted. Um, but the good news is even the discounted rent is still above fair market price right now. We gauge these prices based on several things. One, we ask, what, what can the market bear? Right now, the market can bear as much as you want to put on it, right? You can't go crazy and ask for $1,000 above market, but you can probably get about $100 above market. We use uh, various websites like Zillow. Uh, we look at what our, our competitors are, are li- listing their properties at. And then we also look at the Zillow Zestimate their rentals estimate. Um, and the rentals estimate is the mean rent um, that's been collected within a quarter of a mile or a half a mile from that particular property address. And we say, okay, well, the market can clearly bear this. And we know that we're exceptional at what we do. And so we're going to ask for more than the market rate for that area. Zillow is not always always right. Okay. So I want to make sure that the listener knows that, you know, you can go online and look at it, look at what Zillow says your house is worth for rent, for sale, and it can be completely wrong. Um, we rarely see Zillow shooting too high, but we often see Zillow undercutting the true value of a piece of property. Very savvy investors know this, right? And so they say, I'm like, you know, we say, well, you know, we, we looked at your house and, and they'll call us up and they'll say, well, Zillow says it's worth 180. And we say, now, wait a second, as realtors, let us run a CMA, you know, a comparative market analysis. And we look at what the actual performance has been on you know, historically in the marketplace. And then we look at what's for sale right now and we see that their house is worth so much more than what Zello was saying it is. So again, having that realtor expertise is, is really important to setting rates, setting prices. Now, actively on a month to month basis, as you're managing a property, what procedures do you have in place to actually keep an eye on how the tenant is caring for the property and, and just what, what it looks like relative to the rest of the community? All right. So I think that number one, um, the community is actually a lot more helpful these days than it used to be. There are a lot of homeowners associations that are out there uh, that will send a letter to enterprise property management or to the, the address at the drop of a hat and say, your grass is two inches too tall. Okay. Now, that's not a huge violation, but uh, as these communities where we have property are managed by the other residents or by professional homeowners or, or uh, homeowners associations or condominium associations. That's sort of a collaboration like uh, there is for Neighborhood Watch. Sure. Um, the community looks out for each other. Right. And they all want to live in a nice street. Right. So anytime something is amiss, they do their best to take action. Right. Well, and then on top of that, you know, for the longest time before this recent boom, customers, homeowners, tenants, they didn't have the means or the money to be able to care for things like their flower beds or repour a new driveway, or maybe their house needed painting and they didn't have the money to do it. And now what's happening in this new economy, believe it or not, is that people have much more money now than they did previously, even with COVID. There's a lot more money in their pockets. And so homeowners associations are taking advantage of this sort of peak in personal wealth, especially for homeowners. 
and saying and, and sending out letters saying it's time to paint your house it's time to put a new roof on your house please clean up your flower beds the homeowners association bylaws say that you may not have grass in your flower beds and you must have a new layer of mulch um please trim the trees or bushes off your house anyway i so I guess what I want the listener to know is that as far as daily monitoring, we get a lot of help from homeowners associations because we can't drive past every house every day. Now, we do have an inspection program. That's our interval inspection program. Um, we used to uh, have this program as in, in quarterly intervals only. And now we give our homeowners the option to go annual, semi-annual or quarterly on their inspections. And these inspections are, are really good. It's a it's a two sided form that I created myself that we, we squeeze as many questions in there as we can um, for the inspector to, to go through, you know, look at every surface, every wall, every ceiling, every stretch of, of flooring, every room in the house and look for problems um, that are there. Uh, recently, in fact, yesterday, we had a follow-up inspection on a property where uh, the inspector from a month ago had seen you know, punch holes in the doors and, you know, some staining in the carpet, unauthorized pets, you know, there are all kinds of like really weird things. And so we sent the tenant a letter and we said, you, you have to leave, you know, you have to leave this property. Their lease was up anyway, but you're not caring for the property. So you have to go. And the tenant called back and said, look, I'll fix everything. Just give me a chance. I'll patch the doors or I'll put new doors up. I'll patch the walls. I'll clean up the house. And so we said, great. So we went back for a follow-up inspection and we found that her situation had actually gotten worse. It had not improved. Uh, the work that she had put into the house was shoddy. And anyway, we're handling that situation right now. And we're definitely asking for her to leave. We communicated with the homeowner who's an international homeowner uh, by email overnight. He's already responded as of this morning. And we are moving forward either uh, helping her to understand that she has to leave voluntarily or setting her out through the legal process. So a property manager that doesn't inspect property you know, the property that they manage, they would not have known that this tenant was going downhill fast and they would have never taken action. What we try to do with our inspections is not only inform our homeowners the current condition of the property and how the tenant is living, but we're also wanting to help them strategize, right? What are the maintenance needs of the property right now? Are they on a small scale that we can repair, you know, very quickly and inexpensively, or are they on a large scale that they need to budget for? And then do we need to take some sort of, of action, you know, with the tenant um, and advise them of that? I believe that with this young lady, had we not done an inspection and then a follow-up inspection within such a short period of time, we would never have caught what's happening to the house right now, which is that there's property destruction. You know, she's, she's actively tearing up the house. And during those inspections, are you able to get photographs that I can see and see the progress of my property, either the deterioration or how well it's being looked after. That's exactly right, Richard. Um, the the number of pictures that come with our inspections are really just copious, just copious amounts. I mean, it we uh, depending on the inspector, you can expect anywhere from 12 to 100 photographs of the property. And one of the things I love about our two in-house inspectors is that they'll take pictures of a surface in the house, either on the exterior or the interior, that has no problems whatsoever at that time 
But as you've said, because we save all of these pictures and on our server, uh, we have, and I know this probably doesn't sound like a lot of space right now, but we have like a 10 terabyte server. I assume that's a lot. I don't know. Um, that's a fair bit. Yeah. So on that server are the historic pictures for every property that we have managed in the past or manage currently and um, for the entire time that we've been in management. So we have some houses where we have pictures that go all the way back to 2007, you know, because we had to switch servers, I think about 07, 08. And, um, and, and anyway, so the point is, yes, we're able to, when a homeowner says, well, how, how has that progressed, that maintenance issue? We're able to say, well, here are pictures from 2017. Here's a picture from 2018, 19, 20, 21. So on a roof, for instance, we can predict, you know, down to, its last two years, uh, the life of a roof, you know, if there has been, uh, ongoing problems with erosion, that's my, one of my pet peeves, um, is houses that have loss of soils around the foundation or around sidewalk areas or driveway areas. Uh, we're able to gauge how quickly that those soils have been lost. And then of course we have vendors that can do everything, you know, that's needed on the property. Well, let's talk about your vendors and and general contracts that you have set up. How can you assist in the maintenance and upkeep of the homes? And when upgrades are needed, how does that process work? So that's a great question. One of the greatest benefits of working with enterprise property management is that you have access to all of our honest and capable vendors. So uh, let's start off with pricing um, and the the contracts that we have with them. We actually don't have any actual contracts with these contractors, okay? The pricing that they give us is based on the volume uh, that that we have with them. Um, So, uh, and they're actually very flexible in their pricing. One of the misnomers about having either in-house maintenance staff or contractors with whom you have contract pricing is that you're when you're locked into that pricing it might make it easier for me to operate the company that way but it makes it 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 can make it to where the owner pays more for work where it could be a more flexible price right so for instance i'm I'm just going to go ahead and give a a a shout out to drango so drango is a, a phenomenal company they are um in multiple states actually on, you know, under different names, but it's all the same ownership. They, you know, they work on septic systems. They work on all manner of plumbing, both underground and in the house, um, all kinds of plumbing systems and they're licensed and they're, um, insured. And so what we've got a relationship now to where, um, a Drango technician will come out to any one of my properties. Anytime I need them to, they don't charge me an emergency after hours fee. If we've had an emergency. So number one, right there, you just say, Saved, you know, one to two hundred dollars. And that's because of the relationship that we have. They come out to the property, they give a free diagnosis unless they have to run a camera. Um, and then there is a charge that they, they give for running a camera in a sewer. They We've got a set uh, list of work that they can do for me and for our homeowners without having to go through the approval process, right? Because plumbing is one of those necessary things. And uh, and they usually get the work done. You know, it's it's great work. The tenants are happy. They're happy with the performance and the speed of it. And then uh, there are very few callbacks with Drango. So that kind of like really, really great experience is something that we seek with all of our vendors, uh, our contractors, our handymen, our electrician. We've got a brand new electrician who's really amazing. We've got two or three really great roofers 
you know, and uh, so they they price competitively competitively between each other. We also encourage our homeowners to ask for a second estimate. Look, you know, it would be so much easier on me, on our staff, if you just trusted us when we gave you that first estimate. But if you want a second estimate and it's not an emergency situation, by all means, we can we can provide the second estimate. You know, you can go and get a, another estimate from somebody you find on Angie's list or on Google. And compare, you know, your estimate or our second estimate against the first estimate and make the best decision. The other thing, when I was talking about pricing flexibility, and this is a secret, uh, so please don't tell anybody. The other thing is you can almost always ask if that's their best price. We are not uh, immune to, to um, oh, how do I say this? We, I'm not saying we like to haggle, um, but each one of my contractors is open to hearing how they can get the work, how they can get that job. So, you know, if I was a homeowner and I received a bid back, what negotiation power do I have? You have some. Um, you know, it, the negotiation um, with the, the rate itself for the work that's being done, it varies based on the size of the work and the scope of the work that's there. For instance, if we were, uh, if we needed to install a $350 faucet, there's probably very little negotiation room. Okay. Uh, because there's a lot that goes with a faucet. When, when our plumber replaces, let's say a nice kitchen faucet. Okay. The faucet itself is probably going to cost about $150, $175. If it's a kind of a nicer higher end faucet. And then while they're there, they're going to go ahead and replace the lines that run from beneath the faucet to the wall itself, whether those are braided or, or plastic or whatever. And they're going to make sure that the valves that they're connecting to are not rusted out. If those valves that are in the wall themselves are rusted out and look like they're going to cause a leak within a year or so, the last thing you want to do is put a brand new faucet on really old valves that are 30, 40 years old. So they'll often recommend that they replace those valves as well. Our plumber wants to make sure that the job that they do is one that they don't have to come back and repair later, right? So on a smaller invoice, uh, negotiating power is going to be a little less on a larger invoice and a, a typical, you know, large invoice for a, a plumber would be the sewer, uh, replacing the sewer uh, uh, in the ground or beneath the house to the street. That's a big that's a big item. Uh, a water heater is also a big item. Um, so the costs of those things have gone up recently. Um, we're all experiencing price inflation uh, because materials, the cost of materials has gone up. For instance, shocker, uh, because the price of oil has gone up, the price of PVC pipe has also gone up, right? Because PVC is an oil-based product, right? It's petroleum. So, um, so although prices have gone up, what my investors can do is they can always ask any one of my property managers, hey, is that the best price that I can get? It's our preference. And, and any of our listeners who have talked with me on the phone about a major maintenance issue, they've already heard me say this, but I'll say it for everybody else. It's our preference that we get to use the vendor, the first vendor that we sent out because we already have that excellent pricing relationship and we trust that vendor. And so we'd like to use the initial vendor. So instead of getting a second opinion, you can always ask me, hey, can we do just a little better on the price? And we'll go with that first option. And usually what I can do, especially in a larger price like this, is I can go back and get a little less on that sewer. For instance, I was able to, to get $200 off a sewer yesterday and uh, the homeowner's still waiting to make a decision. 
If you've not been to our website, our website is epmrealestate.com. This is where we've sourced some of these questions from. Some have come from propertymanagementmemphis.com, which is our property management website. But just to round out this segment, uh, let's go with one last question. And this one is, how do you handle evictions? Wow. And I love this question. Um, where, how do I even begin? So unless you've been living under a rock, you are aware that uh, we have had an eviction moratorium uh, that has been nationwide uh, for various reasons. Uh, we started with a federal mortgage eviction moratorium in the early stages of COVID that then moved September of last year into a CDC eviction moratorium in order to reduce the spread of uh, or the contagious uh, aspects of the virus uh, through potential homelessness, which would come stem from eviction. Both of those are almost out the door. And so uh, in West Tennessee, where we are, um, we're actually able to perform evictions. And tomorrow is our first day in court. So I hate to sound excited about that, but I, but I am quite excited that we are able to see the courts operate again. It's investment protection at the end of the day. It really is. We don't like to put people out, but it's a reality of the business. Right. Right. And and if you've read some of these news articles, like I was mentioning to you earlier before we started today, there was an article uh, that says, you know, I, I don't I don't know if, if, if you're keeping time on how long COVID has been a thing. It's been a thing now for 15 months. OK, just easy math, 14, 15 months, at least here in the United States. Right. So New Jersey actually passed a bill recently that will pay all 15 months of back rent to the homeowner which is pretty cool. Critics of these of this bill, that state bill in New Jersey, say that this money is coming too late to have an impact because as the CDC eviction moratoriums are being overturned state by state and eventually will not be renewed at all by the CDC, um, our country is going to have to face this huge wave of evictions. And I still don't have an accurate number. I, I don't think that the government has an accurate statistic as to how many houses and apartments are in eviction status. Now, let me get to your question. How do we handle evictions? Well, now that we've returned to a relatively normal state of affairs when it comes to our court system, evictions can be handled as follows. If a tenant in a non-COVID type scenario is behind in rent, and uh, the homeowner chooses to evict at that time, then we notify the tenant that we're going to be filing for their eviction because we're not, you know, we're human beings like anybody else. We want them to know that they're going to get a knock on the door, that there's no surprises. We've already given them a, a, several notices, you know, that they're behind in rent. They know that they're behind in rent. Their notices come by paper, phone call, text, and email. So these people have been heavily notified that we're not happy. Um, we then file for their eviction in court. The cost right now is about $225. Once we've filed for their eviction, we'd have a judgment against that tenant for possession at the very least, and often for the back rent within 45 days of filing. So that's fast. This is way faster than California. I've heard in pre-COVID conditions in California, a tenant can stretch an eviction process out for up to six months. One of the questions I've got is, over what period of time has the tenant failed to pay before the eviction process begins? So that 45 days begins on a date. Correct. But how long is the period before that? So if the tenant is late six days, mm -hmm. then the homeowner can file for their eviction. 
So on the morning of day number six, or the sixth day of the month, if the rent has not been paid, then the homeowner may then file for their eviction. And the reason that we use six days instead of the second day, um, which technically a homeowner could file on the second day, is because our lease has a grace period in there for f- a five days uh, that the, the rent can be on time. And um, this is the South, you know, this is a very, you know, word is bond type place. And so um, we don't want to go against our lease. You know, we want to give the tenants that that little bit of flexibility at the beginning of the month. And so day number six is when we file. Now, a lot of homeowners have been bound by this eviction moratorium. And so they've not been able to file for anywhere from six to 14 months. The good news for our listeners uh, is that, you know, now that COVID is beginning to lift uh, and we're, we're beginning to get back to this sort of state of normalcy with the, um, the legal system. We're able to look back on the previous 14 months. And what we've realized is that enterprise property management didn't suffer that badly. There were some homeowners that had tenants that figured it out from the very beginning and said, I'm never paying my rent again, right? Unless until I'm evicted. And then we filed for their eviction as soon as we could. And they moved out in all except for one case. Uh, we've had tenants that owed anywhere from $7,500 all the way up to fourteen, $15,000 during COVID. That's for an individual household. They left the house in decent condition. So a lot of these horror stories that home- homeowners worry about, you know, these worst case scenarios, they really are highly uncommon. It's much more likely that that tenant is going to say, you know what? I can't pay my rent something changed in my life. I got a divorce. I lost my job, COVID. And so I'm just going to go, I'm just going to move out. Um, now the court cases tomorrow, there are, as far as I'm aware, five of them of those court cases, two of those households have voluntarily vacated. Okay. So that's pretty good. And the remaining three actually are, we're working with the Memphis and Shelby County eviction settlement fund which is through the federal government to help pay their rent. Those three cases will most likely be continued for two weeks, maybe four weeks, depending on what the court will allow. We will work with those tenants. Um, if the homeowners want to accept the funds from the, from the fund, the emergency fund, then we will take those funds. And if, if they want to, we will drop the case against the tenant. So we, as a management company, and I, you know, I've never really gauged on if our approach to eviction is, is, like, <laughs> I think it's in the gray, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We use eviction as a means to cure the situation. You know, we really, as a management company, we don't want the house back and we don't want to kick this person out, but we have these tools with the law to be able to put a reasonable amount of pressure against that tenant to pay their rent or to choose to vacate if they know that they'll never be able to catch back up. Well, if you're interested in property management, you can head to our website at propertymanagementmemphis.com. On that site, you'll be able to find fee schedule and you'll be able to contact us and learn more about what we could do for you. Now, if you're managing with another property management company, but you have questions or you're looking to change property management services, give us a call and we'll be happy to chat with you. You can reach us at 901-260-0206 option three for property managers.
That's right. And there are three or four different people that you can speak with about property management. We have uh, our head of our leasing department, Melinda Bateman, um, is an excellent resource for speaking to about uh, property management services and, and what we can do for you. If you're a local homeowner and you would like to meet a member of our staff, um, we'll be happy to visit you at your home or you can come to our, our office as well. Um, if you're international, uh, often we start with uh, an email. Um, and where do they, how can they email? Us. Yes, they can go to propertymanagementmemphis.com and go to the contact page. Right there, there's a form that you can fill out, give us some details about what you're looking to do, and someone will call you back the next business day. Yeah, we it's, it's actually quite amazing the amount of international uh, and out-of-state uh, investors, the number of investors we work with. You know, this is a, an industry that is very much built on trust, right? Like, this is the largest piece of real property that you will invest in that you may never see, right? And a lot of investors have never seen their rental property. Isn't that crazy? And so um, being able to, to find an operation like Enterprise Property Management that is, you know, has, has character, uh, is licensed, you know, with the Tennessee Real Estate Commission and the state of Tennessee, um, has a number of licensed and experienced realtors and, and non-realtors as assistants, that, that's a big step. You know, and so like Richard said, if you're if you're currently with another property manager and you're not sure that your best interests are being pursued, you know, we would really encourage that you give us a call. We are not afraid of skepticism. You know, you should be skeptical when hiring a property management company for real estate investment. So we are ready to answer the hard questions. We don't win every phone call. You know, um, but I, I, it's so funny. I've told Richard several times, you know, he's like, what's your rate of return on, on your phone calls? And I'd say, I'd say, well, you know, it's anywhere from 50% to every two out of three phone calls will come over to enterprise property management. And that actually is a really great rate of return. You know, so we, we want to provide our homeowners with some comfort and confidence so that they can go back to doing what they do well, wherever they are in the world while we handle their investment here in Memphis. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. Be sure to subscribe at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Enterprise Property Management's real estate services, please visit us on the web at EPMRealEstate.com. This has been a Sound Ideas Group production for Enterprise Property Management, Inc. Oh, 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 oh,